Um, I've been uh, off for a month. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, you might have noticed that I've been missing a little bit, except that I have been in here um, off and on. I took the first two weeks um, as a sabbatical. I took the next week as a vacation. And then my wife and I and all of the staff and their spouses went to the Vineyard Conference in, uh, on Black Mountain um, in North Carolina and just uh, really sat in there and, and uh, were uh, blessed by the worship and the messages and the speaking and the national director sharing vision and different things like that, challenging us just a little bit. So um, it is good to be back. It, it really is. Um, um, July was a time of listening for me, a time of reflection on my life, um, just to be alone with God. I took three or four days, and some of you were praying for me, and I appreciate that. And I wish I could say that fire fell from the heavens and things happened, but um, it did not quite go that way. Um, I will tell you that I had booked a cabin in the Red River Gorge, and I was there for three days and two nights, and uh, just needed to relax a little bit. Um, and um, as I was, I guess it was, it was three... Well, anyway, I was there. Um, um, anyway, and, and so I took my dog Frank with me, because Frank can come with me. Um, and so we did some fasting and praying. Not Frank, he does not do that. Um, I do. And I just happened to be reading from Balaam in the Bible. And so at one point, I sat down with Frank, and I just simply said, Frank, do you have anything to say? And Frank looked at me like, are we staying in this cabin? What happened to being at home? And I said, Lord... You talk through Balaam's donkey, here's my dog. Frank, do you have something to say to me? And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not mad at God, but Frank did not talk to me. Um, and maybe some of you were like, that was a close one. We'd have to listen to that story over and over again. The long and the short of it is, I'm, I'm just at a place in my life where I want to hear from the Lord again, and I'm not that we all aren't there every day. Um, but there's just this place where I'm like, hey, Lord, you know, we're heading into a new year, heading into a new season. School's about to start. Things are going to happen, and it's going to be great. And anyway, we wrapped up the month of July at the uh, National Conference. And so this happens to be all of your staff at the National Conference. Um, Pastor Jeff was up here in his National Conference shirt that we got. I don't know if you recognize that or not. Um, that is from the Ted Lasso series on TV. Um, and it just happens to be from AFC Richmond. And so one of our genius staff came and said, hey, since it's AFC Richmond, wouldn't it be cool if we all got a jersey and put vineyard across the back for the name and 09 for the date because that's when we launched our church and we went to conference and on Tuesday when we got to conference we all wore our jerseys and I'm just going to be honest with you, it was awesome. It was so crazy. You could look through the crowd and say, there goes Vineyard Richmond right there. And, and people were like, you know, it's the AFC Richmond, England, um, Greyhound um, soccer team, but it works for us because it's a fine church, and that's still AFC. And so I could be cheesy that way and say, it's a fine church, Richmond. And so we, you saw that last night. It was good for us to be there with their spouses and things like that. As we begin this new, seer, uh, this new um, um, sermon today, as I'm here with you, going into our new school year, um, things are beginning to change in our lives, right? Things are beginning to change. We're getting out of our summer routine. We're getting into our new routine, or at least we're thinking about it. We've got a week to go. People are on vacation. They're like, we got to get this last vacation in. we got to go do our thing. Totally get that. Have fun and do it. But we recognize that as changes come, so come fears. People, believe it or not, people do not like change, and it upsets them. And with fears comes anxieties. 
And so I want to talk about that just a little bit today because we're, we're looking at this place and our little babies, they're going off to kindergarten. They're going, oh no, they're going off to kindergarten. It's going to be all right. Okay? It's going to be all right. Or maybe your little prince is headed into middle school. Oh no, they're going into middle school. He's a big boy now. He's going to get bigger. It's okay. Or maybe your princess is headed into high school. And, but look at it this way. The mean girls are in middle school. Okay? Relationships are a little more established, so now she's going to be a little happier. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. Or maybe your child is off to big bad college. Or maybe you are starting a new job. Or maybe, how many, how many um, um, teachers are in here today? How many, how many, or if you work in the education system, let's do it that way. Yeah. See, we've got teachers in here, and you're headed off to a new school year, and some of you are like, yeah, let's do that. Uh, we need to get out of this, you know, everybody at home being crazy stuff. And some of you are like, no, we like to stay at home, be crazy stuff. But change is coming. Change is coming, again, as it always does. As a matter of fact, change is the only thing that does not change. The fact that everything changes, you can count on. And when things change, it upsets us just a little bit, doesn't it? We get a little disturbed inside of our soul. Well, today I want to take you to the book of John, chapter 14. And I want you to understand that as we read the book of John, chapter 14, that Jesus has already, by the time you get to chapter 14, Jesus has already entered Jerusalem. Now, there's like 21 chapters in the, in the book of John. It, Lord, was there 21 or is there 22? Um, it's like, where are we? Let's just check, okay? Because I have to know now because I said it out loud. And I've got 21 chapters in the book of John. So there's 21 chapters in the book of John. And the first um, 11 are Jesus' three years of ministry. His life and three years of ministry. So 33 years of Jesus' being takes place in the first 11 chapters. And then he heads for Jerusalem in, in the 12th chapter, enters Lazarus' house the Lazarus he's raised from the dead. And from chapter 12 to chapter 20, and we'll go on to 21 and say that was another couple of weeks, but basically are five days of Jesus' life. Wrap your head around that for a second and realize 33 years in 11 chapters and then the next 10 chapters represent basically the, a couple of weeks in Jesus' life. Five days significantly, and then the last little bit, you know, a couple extra, things like that. And that's what we're looking at right now. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He is going to be crucified. And we're going to start in uh, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. I just want to read seven verses to you, okay? Um, this just kind of settled into my heart while I was going through my July and I want to share it with you. But it begins in, in John 14, and it says this. Do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. And there's a period. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is Jesus talking. It's written in red. Okay? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And if I can just embellish it a little bit, you trust in God, then do me a favor and trust in me. That's what Jesus is saying. But the favor isn't for him. It's for you. You trust in God, Jesus said. Do me a favor, then trust in me. Because he's trying to calm them. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. And one of his disciples will pipe up and say, well, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going, and he will begin to talk with him, and they'll get it all straightened out, and that's what it'll be. But here's the deal. There is so much going on this passage because Jesus, for a long time, has been telling his disciples, listen, you guys need to understand, we're going to go to Jerusalem and those people are going to crucify me they're going to hang me on a cross I'm going to die for your sins and God is going to resurrect me and it's going to be great but here's the deal the disciples are following Jesus and we know for a fact that the disciples are following Jesus because he think that they think that he's going to push out the Romans they honestly believe that he is going to overthrow the occupying government and set up the new heaven, I mean the new kingdom of God on this earth. They know so much. Some of you may be familiar with this passage, but there's a place at which James and John's mama, now how old do you think James and John are as disciples? Most of them, you think that he's like old like me, right? You think he's like 63 and he's like, you know, walking on a little cane or something. I don't know. But, you know, we get this picture from artists and stuff like that, that these disciples were old men. Listen, their mama came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come into your authority, can my boys sit on either side of you? Can they be the vice principal? Can they be the vice governor? Can they be the assistant uh, presidents? Can they be their mama? Listen, if you're 55 years old, gray and wizened in your head, your mama does not come and ask favors for you. If you're 18, your mama comes and asks favors for you. Maybe if you're 15, your mama comes and asks favors favors for you. But I'm telling you, the disciples were not 55 years old and their mamas follow them around unless she's a serious helicopter parent from, you know, 2,000 years ago. And some of you know what helicopter parents are. Because some of you got your license. You know, my little girl, she didn't mean to kick that girl in the shin and pull her hair. It wasn't her fault. Yes, it was, and she's a mean girl. Okay, stop pretending that you don't have a mean girl. Okay, lighten up. James and John's mama wouldn't follow them around if they were that old, but that's the picture. Anyway, so Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and all of a sudden he starts, when you read those nine chapters, those ten chapters, you start seeing how much Jesus pours into his disciples. He is teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. It'd be like you going out in front of your house and taking the thing off the fire hydrant and going, I just need a sip, and it hits you right in the face, knocks you over backwards. Because it's too much all at once. And I don't know who said to who, write this down. But somebody was scribbling as fast as they could to remember this stuff. So that you and I would have it. He said, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not do that. What troubles your heart today? Well, Pastor Joe, I'm very troubled by the political situation in America today. And in a couple of years, 18 months, we're going to have another vote. Okay, put that aside. Put that aside. What's troubling your heart today? When you came in here, what is it that you're saying, Lord, I'm going to go to church, and I want you to speak to me. 
I want you to touch my heart. I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from Pastor Joe. don't want to hear from Pastor Tony. don't want to hear from Pastor Jeff. don't want to hear from Pastor Camden. don't want to hear from the rest of the staff. God, I need to hear from you. What is inside of your heart right now that's just keeping you awake at night, that wakes you up? And it creates anxiety. And when somebody says, hey, maybe your spouse says, hey, are you okay? You're awake. And you say, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you're not fine. You're not falling apart. But something inside of your heart is troubling you. And Jesus is saying, do not let your heart be troubled. See, I know the disciples have been told over and over again. I know that they knew that Jesus was going to die. So much so that I know that when Jesus in, in, in uh, John chapter 11 was um, going up to Jerusalem to, to heal Lazarus from his little episode, you know, he died, okay? He's just going to wake him up. Well, Lord, if he's asleep, then just let him wake up when it's time. And he says, oh, for crying out loud, he's dead. He's, I mean, Jesus, don't take my word for it. Read it in your scripture. Jesus said, we're going to go up and we're going to wake up Lazarus. And his disciples said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, let him sleep. Let him wake up himself. And Jesus says, fine, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that he is because we're going to go up there and we're going to raise him from the dead. And they did. But when it came time to head to Jerusalem, Thomas, that we all throw rocks at, that doubting Thomas, what a loser. Couldn't he have faith in Jesus? Just like us, just like us. Thomas, on the other hand, is the hero, and he says, well, if Jesus is going to Jerusalem, Lord, just last little bit ago, they were trying to kill you. They wanted to stone you, and so I guess if you want to go to Jerusalem, and this is what he says. He literally said, comes right out of his little mouth, says, then Thomas, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, all right, let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, is that your idea of following Jesus around? Okay, let's just go ahead and do this thing where we follow Jesus. It's going to get us dead. It's going to get us killed. But we're going to do it, so let's go do that. And the scripture ends up moving through John 11 where he raises Jesus from the grave. Chapter 12, he comes back into Lazarus' house, headed to Jerusalem. And then for the next five days, he's headed to Passover. It was six days to Passover when he entered Lazarus' house. Bethany and Bethany, and then it says, and the next morning he got up and finished the walk into Jerusalem. So he is in Jerusalem five days before Passover, all right? And Jesus knew that his disciples were anxious. Jesus knew that they were upset. Jesus knew that they were troubled in their heart about their job, about their children, about their finances, about his death, about what was going to be left for them if Jesus actually does die, because we serve a God that cares about your mental, your emotional well-being. And he says to you, hey, take a deep breath and do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. You do not have to be troubled or anxious in your heart. And I love that because if you said it another way, another way it would be, do not give troubles any room in your heart. Think about your heart like an Airbnb. You know what I mean? You say, Airbnb, my heart. Oh, come on. It's not a, it's not a, a stretch. Jesus made the analogy before I ever did. In, in his prayer to his father in John 17, he says, Lord, um, I'm in you, you're in me, and we're in them. How much more Airbnb do you need? That's, that's conversation. Right there, that's a marketing ploy to give to Airbnb to get all the Christian people to come stay at their places. Okay? But you don't have to give trouble 
or anxiety a place inside of your heart. And Jesus tells us how. He makes it as simple as possible. And this is why I think most people, I don't want to say walk away, but walk away from Christianity because it's got to be harder than what Jesus is making it. It has to be. It cannot be this easy. And this is what he said. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And this is how. You trust in God, trust in me also. Will you trust in me? Yes, I will trust. Yes, I'm, I'm going to trust in Jesus, Pastor Joe. That's what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. But listen to me. Don't wrench your heart out to anxiety, fear, and trouble. Evict that. Do not give them space. When Jesus says, do not, he says to his disciples, you do not give your heart, don't give trouble a space in your heart. It insinuates that you and I actually have a choice and we can do something about it. This is the thing that's killing Christianity in people's lives. We've got this idea. It's like, Lord, come fix it. Right? And Jesus is saying, okay, fix it. And we're saying, it's got to be harder than that. Come fix it. And we, Jesus says, okay, go ahead. You do this and fix it. And then we say, well, if he's not going to do that, then he can't be God. You want me to give you another example? Have any of you ever prayed for patience? Yeah, that was a bad move, wasn't it? It was a bad move to pray for pain. Didn't your granny tell you? Honey, don't pray for patience. Because God will not give you patience. What did he give you? Circumstances. He gave you circumstances where you could exercise patience, where you could make yourself be patient. And most of us did not see the circumstance. We got mad and said, see, God didn't give me patience, didn't we? See? And yet he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, then trust in me. Because if this were not true, I would have told you. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that your brain will be locked in long term. But you'll be doing work on this earth short term. You will be anchored in the eternity, but you will work in the now. And if you can be anchored in the eternity... You don't have to worry about the now because whatever comes is actually going to end up being okay. All right? Do not take your heart and fill it with trouble. Do not do this thing. Um, sufficient to the day at one point, Jesus says, is the evil or the trouble thereof. He says, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow might not come. My wife and I were on a vacation two weeks ago. We left from here right after Sunday and we headed all the way up to Maine. We went back to my home, hometown um, in Bangor, and we just stopped in Lewis and Auburn, stayed with my aunt and uncle who were there, and we were going to spend four or five days there, and then we're going to drive down to Providence, see my cousin, then we're going to drive down to North Carolina, right at the North Carolina-Virginia um, border, see her cousin, and then we were going to go meet the staff all at the conference. And so it was going to be a great trip. It's going to be a great trip. And so we're, we're on our way up to Maine. We kind of roll in just a little bit. It's 3 o'clock in the morning because I drive all night because there was trouble in my heart. There was trouble in my heart. See, I have this thing, and I don't know what it is. It's an irrational fear of New York City. And so as we were driving along, we were going to stay in Hagerstown, Maryland. That's seven, eight hours from here. That's a good drive after church, Right? I got to there, and it was like, hey, I still got a couple hours in me. Let's go a little further. We went a couple more hours, and it was like, we're coming up on New York City. And I told my wife, I said, we probably shouldn't stop yet, because when we get up and leave, 
everybody's going to be driving into New York with us, into New York City, and the traffic's going to be miserable. We should drive through. And I said, what I want you to do is I want you to just plot me a course. She's the navigator, you know what I'm saying? It's like we're in this, you know, fighter jet, and she's navigating, and I'm driving. I'll shoot the missiles at the cars in the left lane, and she'll just, you know, say, don't do that. Okay, and so I said, just plot me a course around New York City. I want to, we were on I-95. I said, just take me on 495. We'll go right around. She says, 495 is 23 minutes longer. I said, honey, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I really don't care. I am not going through New York City. I have an abject, irrational fear of driving through that city. Ask me about it sometime. We spent four nights on our honeymoon in a gymnasium in Pennsylvania because of it. Okay? Whole other sermon. Okay? So I'm driving and I do whatever she tells me to do. Get off here, turn there, go that way, go this way, go that way. And we're driving and driving and driving. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm on a road that is not 495. And there is a sign in front of me that says, Welcome to the Bronx. I just want you to know that Pastor Joe had an absolute meltdown in the car. And Pastor Janice wondered if he would ever talk to her again, ever for the rest of her life ever because it lasted two hours where I was in my little shell and it was just I, I don't know what was going to happen but it was going to happen and we were there and then I saw a sign that said welcome to Yonkers and that went on for another couple of you know uh, and then I started breathing two hours later and there you go I had trouble in my heart and it was very very difficult see we had to do something about it and Jesus said, you believe in God, then believe in me. We worry when we take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on the sign that says, welcome to the Bronx. See? I said, the sign says, welcome to the Bronx. And my wife said, look at that, we're in the Bronx. And I said, ah! And she said, it's going to be okay. And I said, ah! And, and sealed up, not another word. I just needed to drive and not look either way. It was okay. The fact of the matter is I didn't need to be troubled in my heart. 2.30 in the morning, there was still a lot of people awake on those roads, which disturbed me as well. But there it was. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Can you believe in God? Say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I believe in God. Don't, don't do that to yourself, okay? Because once again, I would say that most of Christianity will say yes, but the answer is no. Let me just walk you through it. Can you believe in Jesus? Because I can tell you that he is faithful. I can tell you that he is timely. I can tell you that he is love, but I can also tell you he's not going to do what you say and what you want. But he will be God. I'm not saying he won't ever do what you want. I'm just saying you've got to trust God to be God. He will get you through New York City and out the other side unless he wants to bring you home. And if he wants to bring you home, then that's part of his plan. And trusting in God is trusting in God's plan. And that's what we forget so much because we think trusting in God means if I just believe enough, he'll give me whatever I ask for. And quite often it does not happen. 
I tell you that God is watching the sparrows, and if even one of them fall, if two of them fall, nothing falls out of the sky that God says that he is not aware of and that you are so much more important than those sparrows, but I can't make you believe that. You have to choose. Remember he said, do you trust in God? Then trust in me. And that's something that you have to do. See, let me just ask you a question. How many of you, when you came in here today, grabbed a hold of that seat that your little tuchus is sitting in right now, and you played with it for a second, and you pushed on it a little bit, and you pushed down with your hands on it, and then you kind of sat your behind in it a little bit, and then just, just to make sure that it doesn't like go... <laughs> How many of you have ever come into this church and sat in a chair and it's crashed, and you fell to the ground, and you were so embarrassed, and you said, I'm never sitting in a, church, a chair in this church again? How many? How, none, none of you, right? See, because that's what believe means. You believed that that chair, you know those chairs, four of those chairs will hold up a real Hummer? That's their, their marketing ploy. They take it and they put one on each wheel and they set the thing on top of it and it holds it with no problem. That chair will hold you. Pastor Joe will take care of you. But not a one of you walked into this room and goes, I don't know if we can trust Pastor Joe. I don't know if I can sit in that chair right there. I don't know if I'll end up on the floor and everybody in the room is going to laugh at me and I'm going to be the fool. We don't, do we? We believed in the chair, and why do you believe in the chair? Because every Sunday that you walked into this building and sat in that chair, that chair did its job, and it, it did not do what you wanted. It didn't change your finance. It didn't change your relationship. It held your behind off the floor. And so, therefore, you continued to trust it. And I'm telling you, you can do the same thing with God. Because for all of your life, he has not ceased to be God. He has not given you everything you've asked for. He has not done and become your step and fetch it, boy, because he is God. You surrender to him. He doesn't surrender to you. And when that happens, I can trust that I don't have to have trouble in my heart because whether I live or die, I am good with it and I keep going. I keep doing this thing. You know, there's a couple of guys in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, chapter um, 3 and verse 16. And these guys showed us what trust is. And the fact of the matter is, they had been captured and taken to a foreign country, and they served a foreign king, and the king set up a big pillar out in the, in the desert, and he said that every time the band strikes up, everybody better bow down and pray to me and worship me and worship that idol, or you're going in the furnace. You're going to get cooked. We're going to have a barbecue in the desert, and if you don't straighten up, you're on the menu. That's what he said. Don't take my word for it. Read it yourself in Daniel chapter 3. And these guys went out there. And this is what it means to believe. It doesn't mean to acknowledge. It means to act with your full life. And these guys in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says that Shadrach was one of them's name, Meshach's the other one, and Abednego was the other one. They replied to King Nebuchadnezzar. They said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We're not going to bow down. We don't need to defend ourselves. We're not going to worship you. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves that God will save us. We don't have, God doesn't have anything to prove, prove to you, Nebuchadnezzar. We're telling you right now. We do not have to argue the case in front of you. And, and I'm not saying that they were wicked, arrogant little monsters. I'm just telling you that they were bold enough to stand up and say, we're not going to get woke. We're not going to get pushed around by the culture. We're not going to be shoved into a hole. We're not going to be beat down we're going to continue to be children of God Almighty 
And he said, then you're going in the fire. And the king was mad. If you read the story, he was mad. And when they said this to him, he became enraged. And I don't know how you go from super angry to enraged, but he did. And they stoked the fire in the furnace till it was seven times hotter. And then they threw those men in there. But I love their response. Before they went in, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, and it looks like that's about what's going to happen, so we recognize that, that God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. You can't do anything unless God allows you to do it. And I'm sure that's what made him mad. But I love his next verse here. But even if he does not save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, this is what it means to believe. It doesn't mean to become a Christian and say, God, do this for me. God, do that for me. It means to become a Christian and say, God, what do you want from us now? No matter what happens to us, where we are, what we're doing. I mean, these, these guys aren't asking to pray in a public setting as state workers. These people are saying right here that that furnace is going to cook us and it's going to kill us. And the king said, either we bow down and do what they say, we accept the culture of Babylon, or we go into the furnace. And these boys said, well, put us in the furnace. We know our God can save us, but there's an option because he's God that he doesn't, and he brings us home. And they were okay with that. And as Christian people today, we aren't okay with that. God needs to save us. God needs to fix it. Ladies and gentlemen, staying on the planet only creates trouble in our heart because we're trying to make all this happen. When we realize that God's got us, it's okay, then this trouble in our heart can diminish because if I lose my job, I trust that God's already there. If I waste too much money, God has factored in Joe Wood's stupid. Okay? And I mean that with all sincerity. God knows who you are. He doesn't want you to be me. He wants you to be you in relationship to him. And if he asks you to go to speak to somebody about Jesus, he already knows you're terrified, you're scared, but you're going to give it a shot, but you're going to screw it up. And I promise you, when you say, well, what if they reject God because of what I said? Then I'm here to tell you, you aren't big enough to screw up the plan of God. You're not that big. Relax. Enjoy your life. People used to ask me, how can you ride a motorcycle 3, 4, 5, 15, 20,000 miles a year and not put a helmet on? I'd say, number one, I hate helmets. Number two, I put it on in states where it, I have to because of the legal issues. They say, what if you crash? Then I'm going home. But I assure you of this, and I know this from Psalm 139. I cannot die before my time, and I cannot stay after my time. And God already knows the decisions I made. So I am free to be the best Joe Wood I possibly can be in relationship to God Almighty. So if I will be the best Joe Wood, God can do amazing things. But if I'm too busy trying to be somebody else, because they're, they're a better Christian than me, and I'm not saying don't be a good Christian. Be the best that you can be in your relationship to God. But be you. Because you are the person that God needs. You see, these young men, they believed and that's what belief looks like. It's the trust that makes you sit in that chair without giving it a second thought. 
because you believe from previous experience that that chair loves you enough to support you. Or, if you're sitting there going, Pastor Joe, the chair doesn't love anybody. It's an inanimate object, and I need to talk to you about it. You don't need to talk to me. You can believe that Pastor Joe loves you enough to put you in a chair that's not going to harm you because you are important. But let me share this with you. Believing is not just about believing that Jesus lived, that he died, and he claimed to be the Son of God. It's not, it's not about acknowledging that he is the Son of God. We're not asking you to do that. It is about believing with your life. It is about believing with your eternity, your soul, your future, your money, your kids, your everything, that there is nothing more important than following Jesus and living surrendered to his word and not making excuses for it. At that point, you can say, why did I let my heart be troubled? He's got my back. He's got my front. He's got my sideways. He's got my up. He's got my down. As a matter of fact, he's got me so much that he went to prepare a place for me because he knows he's going to take me off this planet. Either he's going to blow the trumpet, and if he blows that trumpet, all of my talks about driving in the left lane on I-75 will apply to me getting to heaven. You had better get out of the way. I'm going home. And I believe that with all of my heart. But when we put everything we are in his hands and we move forward. You know, I was, I was driving, getting ready for this message right here, and I was reminded this week of a passage from the book of James. You believe that there's one God? That's great. That puts you in the company of demons. What? Let me read the passage to you. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They tremble, it says in King James. They tremble. You haven't done anything yet that separates us from fallen angels until we believe and mix it with good works. When we believe that what Jesus said is so true that we are willing to put our life, our job, our money, our kids in his... You know, when we had our first child, I remember Pastor Janice and I, when we had our first child, we brought her home, and she wasn't home two weeks, okay? Most of you know who she is, Jessie. She used to be up here on the stage. She's not here anymore. And I thought, we've got a baby, and I loved her so much, I thought we can't have any more babies, okay? Because I don't know how you split your love up with more kids, so we're just going to focus on this one, okay? God saved her from that and gave us four more. Okay, because heaven helped that girl if she had been my whole focus. It would have been awful. But we laid her on the bed and got on our knees, and with all the truth our heart could muster, we said, God, if we are not the parents that are going to get this child into heaven, then take us off the planet and put this girl in a home of people that will lead her to Jesus because I want to spend eternity with her, and I don't care about 80 years on the planet. And we meant it. We meant it. And we spend our lives, the first 18 years of hers and however many it turns into, trying to lead our children into a relationship with Jesus. And thankfully, it worked. It worked. But that's what it means to trust God. It's not that we believe that he is because the demons believe that. 
we got to go a step further and say, then I signed up, let's do it. The demons know. Oh, they know. They know that he's the only begotten son. They know that he came to the earth to live. They know he submitted to death to forgive. They know that God raised him from the dead so that he could reign. And they know that, they, that Jesus gave you the power and the authority, but we don't believe it. We make excuses for why it doesn't work. It shouldn't happen. And we don't pursue it the way we should. But the demons know that, and the demons know, and the courts of hell know that we win because Jesus won. And we need to start living that way, and we can get the trouble out of our heart because we trust in Jesus because we trust in God. But you and I are called to believe, meaning that we put our trust into Jesus. And you and I have been conscripted into the kingdom of heaven to tear down strongholds, to bring healing to the sick, to love the mean, ugly, nasty people that do us wrong, to give to those that are needy but don't deserve it. We are called to forgive those that have hurt us and do, are not worthy of forgiveness. Get that trouble out of your heart. Let God carry it. We have been called to push the trouble out of our hearts, to rebuke the evil of fear, to scream with the millions upon millions upon millions of believers that have died before us. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe that he has conceived of the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. I believe. I believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I believe that he descended into hell in those three days and preached to those who died in the days of Noah. I believe that because it's written down. I believe that on the third day he rose again. I believe that. And believe it or not, that was the only thing that the church was preaching on day one of the church of Jesus Christ on this planet. That was the power of the message of the gospel is that this life is not all there is. So stop trying to stay here and get about the business of sharing the good news and get the trouble out of your heart because the devil can't take you off this planet before the time and you can't stay on the planet after the time. According to Psalm 139, every day was ordained for me in his book before even one of them came to pass. Therefore, I can relax and enjoy life. And I don't have to worry about looking the fool. Because a thousand years into heaven, will we remember earth? Will we remember? I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I can't imagine I'll be worried about what I looked like. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. I believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and it's not my job to do it. I believe that Romans 15 says that I am not permitted to judge another man's servant and that I need to love. I believe that he will, uh, excuse me, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the power of God Almighty. I believe that he is God, not my servant. But he is God to lead me and to prompt me and to tell me and to remind me. I believe in the communion of saints. That means I, may, I believe in going to church. I believe in feeding people. I believe in helping people. I believe in encouraging people. I believe in helping people succeed. And I believe in esteem others as better than myself. 
I believe in the family of God, which is a church, the bride of Jesus Christ. I believe in the forgiveness of sin, and I believe that my sin, though I am a saint, I believe that I am still struggling with sin until the day I died. I was born in sin. I was raised in filthy, immoral, awful sin until I met Jesus. And I will struggle against my sin on this planet until the day the trumpet blows. But that does not disqualify me from being a member of the family of God. Because Jesus intercedes on my behalf, and that's not permission to keep sinning. That's permission to get back up. Get back up. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I'm not going to honk. I'm just going to crawl over your back when he blows the trumpet. I want to go home. And I believe in life everlasting. Amen. I believe with all my heart what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, till the day that trumpet blows. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in this grace with me. We are all in this work together. This is not Joe Wood's church. This is not Joe Wood's work. It is the work of Jesus Christ in our lives together. I may be the pastor, but together we are the church. We, not me, we are the church. And I still believe in better things. I still believe that we should be looking for better things. So I tell you what the Lord told me to tell you today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do something about it. Choose to not let your heart be troubled. The only reason he said it that way is because you actually can do something about it. Don't throw your hands up. As often as that troubling starts stirring, put it back out. Say, Lord, I can't handle this. I can't do anything about it. I need you to deal with it. Now, I've got things to do for you today. What would you like me to do? That's the way we press in. Because we can trust God because he's been faithful to us day in and day out. And maybe you're in here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not saying that you haven't accepted him and maybe you've never met him at all. I'm just saying if you accept Jesus and you got up and said, Lord, do this, 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 and this, you were sold a bill of goods. But if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you got up and said, here's my life, Lord, what now? Man, you have embraced heaven. And maybe today is the day for you to embrace heaven. So I want to invite you all to your feet because I've been talking long enough. If there is something troubling you in your heart today, would you do me a favor? Would you come up here and let us pray for you? Could we do that? There is something inside of you that wakes you up at night that you can't let go of and it's eating your lunch. And you're like, why God? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I just want you to leave it with them, but I want you to come up here so I can pray for you. Is that you today? Am I preaching this message to you today? Say, yeah, but I don't want to come up there. Come up here anyway. It's all good. It's why we gather for church. We don't gather to sing songs. We gather to meet God. We gather to meet Him because He's real and He's alive. Is that you? Are you here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not going to make you say anything. I promise you that. I'm just going to pray for you. Are you in here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you're like, you know, it's time for me to do that, but it's scary. Do me a favor. Come up here. Before I get off this podium, come up here. 
I would love to pray with you. Just, I just would love to pray with you. That's it. Nothing bigger than that. Nothing fancier than that. You heard Pastor Tony say, I can't even tell you the date. I'm not trying to put a date in your head. I'm trying to enter you into a relationship with God. Anybody else? You've got something that's flip-flopping and you don't know what to do with it. And you're like, yeah. There's trouble in my heart. What do I do with it, Pastor Joe? If you're on a prayer team this morning, could you come forward and, and just begin? I'm going to pray for these people. I want you to pray for these people. Just come on up here. There you go. We're just going to do some praying. Okay? Because I still believe that God moves, and I believe that prayer moves God. I, I do. I'm telling you right now. You're here, and you're saying, I want a different life. I don't want this in my heart. I want Jesus in my heart. I don't know what your, your questions are. But I do know that God wants to do something in your life. But you've got to leave it. Put down the expectation of what he needs to do for you. and Pick up the anticipation of what he's going to do for you. You can't wait to see it. But let him do it his way. That's what we're praying today. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, I lift up your children to you. I lift up your word to you, and I just ask and pray, God, that you come in here and you begin to sweep out. In the name of Jesus, I speak against demons. I speak against darkness. I speak against hell itself in this place, not because of me, but because of your great name, Lord. The authority given to us through Jesus Christ, I rebuke the trouble in the hearts that are here. I rebuke the evil. I rebuke any temptation. God, I rebuke the, the spirit of addiction. I rebuke the spirit of yesterday and shame. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus because with you all things are made new. With you, Lord, we become new creations daily from glory to glory to glory. And so I release this upon them in the name of Jesus Christ right now. And I pray that you begin to open up their eyes to wisdom. Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would come. You are God. We yield ourselves to you. And, and he said that you would remind us of what he said. And you would reveal to us all things. And so we pray that authority upon these people. No, we release this authority on these people in the name of Jesus Christ right here and right now. In this place, God, on this day, so be it in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, while we're singing the song, I want you prayer team members to pray for each of them, and then you can release them when you're